I would love for us to focus for the next 31 minutes on what God is trying to say through the scriptures we're going to look at today. It's a good morning, isn't it? Man, the weather, gosh, I can actually wear a sweater. It's awesome. Um, I woke up this morning, it was a little chilly. I was like, oh, well, I had a tie and a suit, no, I mean, a shirt and a tie to preach. And I was like, ah, I just don't feel it today. I'm going to wear a sweater. So I'm wearing my daughters, who's at a therapeutic boarding school. I got, this is their sweater that, that all the girls wear. So I bought one when I went and saw her last weekend. That's why I wasn't here. And so I just thought I'd represent. And their, their verse is Esther 4.14. You were raised up at such a time as this. Um, but today it's good to be able to look at God's word together. There is just something mysterious when the church gathers together in the hearing and seeing of God's written word. In certain times in our lives, this word becomes very, very personal to us. Just think about that. Have you ever been like by your kitchen table, wherever you read your Bible, maybe you read on your lunch break or at school or right before you go to bed, and you read something and all of a sudden you just feel it's like a personal message from God to you. This is what the word does. I hope that this is what happens today to each one of us. Last week, Pastor Jeff preached the last section of Acts chapter 8 about the spirit and the good news of Jesus capturing the heart of an Ethiopian by him seeing Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah. Man, if you you weren't here this Sunday, uh, look online. That sermon was really good. I love the Ethiopian eunuch story. It is God saying so much to the church that it's sad to say sometimes we are so influenced by our culture that we don't even realize it. But the eunuch salvation, God breaking through to a whole new people, It's just amazing to see. And Jeff really focused his message to us about obeying the Spirit's leading in our lives to be spokesmen, or as the term uses in the Bible, witnesses to the good news with those around in our lives. For this is the part of the mission of all followers of Jesus. And it's interesting, we read the Great Commission every every time we end a sermon And every time we read it together, when I'm down here not up with the kids, in my heart I pray, Lord, let this become our reality. Today we are going to continue our journey through the book of Acts, and what we will find is amazing, and better yet, I would say it's infectious. I love that word, infectious. You will realize that in the sermon. That's why I titled this sermon, Infectious Grace. So a question I was thinking about while I was preparing was, how can we catch an infection? Well, we just went through 2020. Everybody remember that year? It's probably a blur, and one year we probably want to forget for the rest of our life, but we won't. And what we've found, and we've been known for centuries, is one way that we get an infection is if we are around someone or a group of people who have already been infected. Today... We will look at a story that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, will share with us a grace so infectious 
that the most least likely person gets infected. You see, because Jesus' people obeyed and lived the Great Commission, it became their reality, and that is why this particular character knew of the good news. And this character would classify himself by his own words, the chief of the worst. This guy was infected by God's infectious grace. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. If I get emotional, I'm sorry. This is a great story. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Could you imagine that? What is going on? But Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, at that time, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, this is a good Ananias. We learned about that Ananias a little bit earlier who lied and died. This Ananias didn't do that. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Doesn't that just remind you of Samuel? God's calling Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes to Eli, and Eli goes back and he But then Eli says, look, next time you hear that, just say, here I am. And here is God calling Ananias, and he just says, here I am, Lord. He gives you this picture like he's saying, I'm ready. What do you you want to say to me? So there's expectation in Ananias. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man at Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. (laughs) But Ananias answered, Lord, I've, I've heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You want me to go to that guy? But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias obeyed and departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said to Saul, now listen to this, this is how he greets Saul. Brother Saul. Just automatically, I know you are Christ. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, things like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taken food. He was strengthened. My God, I love this story. This is a picture of infectious, amazing grace of God. One of the church's arch enemies becomes the main character of the story. I love baby sounds. I'm sorry, I'm a little biased towards baby sounds. They don't bother me at all. Church, if we don't hear a baby cry in the church, our church is dead. Without babies, there is no movement. Sorry, that's extra. We first see this character as the overseer and approver of the murder of Stephen. Acts 7.59, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then Luke mentions him again at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. How many families or kids did Paul make fatherless and motherless? Just think about that picture. Here he is, the great Pharisee, who thinks he's on a mission for God. And he is literally doing things the Ten Commandments commands him not to do. This is how dark his heart was. You look at the Pharisees that killed Jesus. They literally did what the Ten Commandments told them not to do. One, don't bear false witness. How many false witnesses came to Jesus and made lies up about him? And then, do not murder. What did they do? This is where, when we, even we can even be guilty of some things like this, where we become so holy and so righteous that we think that we can do something and it doesn't apply to us. But this is Paul who thinks he is on a mission from God to destroy the church. But God has his focus on him. From this moment, he made it his mission, his life, to end the way movement. Now, I'm not talking about the Jesus movement. Now, if you know anything about that historically, they would have a say, and like every time they got it, they would all point up and say one way. Right? They were talking about the way, Jesus Christ. But before Christians were mocked with a name that they chose to keep because they liked, Christian meant little Jesus, and that was actually used as an insult. But they're like, hey, we like that. 
Did you know in history, a lot of Christians have named things that we actually keep? Anabaptist was an insult word. They chose to keep that. Baptist was another uh, insult word in history. They chose to keep that. And so you just see this thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that little Jesus, I'll, I'll take that. But they were known as the way. And it comes from the words of Jesus in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So they called themselves the way. Saul's mission, life mission, was to kill the way. We see that he's given orders to persecute, imprison, and even oversee the killing of the people of the way, converted Jews that follow Jesus. He is sent on mission with a personal Jewish vendetta. So Paul, oh, sorry, so Saul has purpose, he has authority, and he has rage. This is a dangerous man. But, oh, how this is all about to change. So he is on the road to the city of Damascus, a man with a mission to harm, so focused that he would travel 168.73 miles. That's how far Damascus is from Jerusalem, if you walk. Actually, if you drive too, but walk and take 63 hours to walk there. I looked it up. But little did he know that even though he was on a mission, Jesus was on a mission too. You see, God was behind the orders of Saul's mission because Jesus had infectious, amazing grace on that road. Saul is humbled in the moment by being knocked off his horse by a blinding light. It is amazing when God shows up to people Everybody hits the floor. And they describe it as this blinding light, a light so bright that you can't look at it. Or it makes you blind. Moses had to cover his face. Every time you see an angel descend with God's messengers, that people fall prostrate. Prostrate means their face is on the ground. They're not looking up. And the Lord speaks to him. Not saying, hey, what you doing, dude? Stop. No, he says, Saul. Saul. He knows his name. He knows exactly where Saul is. Do you know God knows exactly where you are? Exactly. Not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. He knows exactly where you are. Can you imagine how many times this man probably rehearsed this moment in his life? Well, we know in the scriptures he talks about it a lot. I'm talking personally. I mean, if I heard God call my name, every prayer would be like, just say my name again. Just say it again. The tone, the authority, the love. Just say my name, Lord. God knew his name and he knew he would be on this road. Jesus' question that we see in the verse shows that when people persecute his followers, they're really persecuting Jesus himself. This is true to this day. 
We are so sometimes detached from our brothers and sisters around the world. Do you know that 275,000 Christians will die this year for their faith alone? That's more than the Christians of the past. And every time that happens, whether it's through murder, torture, slander, mocking, Jesus feels that. He identifies with his people so much that when his people are hurt, he's affected by it. In this question, Jesus captures not only Saul's attention, but will capture his heart. The captor becomes captured. So here is Paul with his order. I mean, I keep saying Paul. Paul's name's changed later. If you don't know, Saul goes to Paul, but this is still Saul. Saul is on a mission to ambush the church, and he's ambushed by the way himself. So my question is, what is your capture story? Where were you? And how did Jesus get in your way? See, the most important thing is not that Saul found the way, it's that the way found Saul. This captured man would write something in Galatians 4, 9 that I'm sure he would reminisce this moment. He wrote, but now, (coughs) sorry, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? See, Paul mentioned that, like, it's not, it's not that I know Christ. It's that I'm known by Christ. In our men group this week, we discussed the idea that God has saved us for something vastly greater than ourselves. And we discussed that a little bit. This was true for Saul, too. Jesus' plan was always to bring the message to the Gentiles. God saved Saul in the middle of his pursuit to destroy his children. A murderer is changed into a rescuer. God blinds him so that he can actually see. It is crazy to think about this, but sometimes just because something's crazy doesn't mean it's not true. The crazy truth is this. Think about this. Jesus got in Saul's way to pursue you. When he wrote, I have chosen him to be the instrument to reach the Gentiles. God got in Paul's way with you in mind. Not only the God of the present, but the God of the future. God already has his sights. God got in your way. Because he had someone else in mind, too. So he loved you, saves you, because he's going to save someone else as well. This is a rescuing God. This isn't a sit on his throne, hands under his bottom, waiting for everybody else. No, this is a God who steps off his throne, becomes a man on earth, walks the same dirt, experiences the same things we do to pursue his Children, the Father is about adopting children on earth. So God saves Paul 
because he was going to save you. I think that every time you read in the Bible, when you see that word because of the... Now, Paul mentions Gentiles a lot. One, because he's the instrument to go to them. Every time you read Gentiles, that is God reminding you, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about you. Now, our answer is, okay, Lord, who are you thinking about now? Who who are you going to use me as an instrument to go to? Sorry. I love that truth. Jesus tells Saul where to go, as we see in the scriptures, and wait for his new orders. He had a purpose, he had a will, he had a mission, but God's like, well, I'm going to change that. You go do this and sit here and wait for your new mission. He would be sent on a different mission that was chosen for him before the foundation of the world. The words of Ephesians 2.10 kind of make sense, written by this man years after his capture. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the same man that wrote that. And later on, looking back at this moment, when he's writing to the, the church of Galatia, he would write this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, why? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So God saves me because he's coming for you. It's like Paul sitting there just doing like, you chose me? Paul would constantly, through his letters and life, thank Jesus for graciously saving a wretch like him. Here's another example. He writes this to his son of the faith, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, approving me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I was good? No, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Saul would not only embrace the way, but then God would use him to lead the way. (laughs) That's like us going and finding the evilest, most vile drug dealer, sharing the gospel, watching Jesus transform his life, and then we say, okay, you can have the pulpit. It would blow our minds. Like, people would leave the church if that happened. That's exactly what God did with Saul. 
Oh, you're a murderer, a persecutor, a blasphemer? Guess what? I'm a savior. Now lead the way. This is how confident Jesus is in his own message. God is not up in heaven biting his fingernails going, I hope this works. He knows it's going to work. God cannot be surprised. I think that's a great thing. Today, church, know that this story is true for you. That Jesus got in your way to pursue someone else through you. That our salvation is not earned, but shared. We are not just infected. We become infectious. You see, the way, the way will never be quarantined. You cannot quarantine the gospel. Doesn't matter what people try. They can make it illegal. They can put you in jail for it. They could kill you for it. Let me tell you what. It don't matter what the world does. How many antics, boundaries, tactics, making it illegal, trying to shut up the church. You can't stop the gospel. Now, I know that's hard to believe looking at our culture. But guess what? The culture cannot stop you from sharing your Messiah. If you don't share him, it's your choice. But the gospel still moves. The early church father, Tertullian, said this, and I love this phrase, and I want to get it tattooed across my chest. Not really, but that's how much I love the tattoo. I mean, the, the say it. He said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So no matter how much the church is persecuted, it will only get stronger. So you can't quarantine it because this way was planned before the foundation of the world. Anybody been alive back then to tell God, hey, that's not going to work? Don't think so. God's mission was for the good news of Jesus to be the pandemic that infects the sinner's heart. That is the cure for our sinful hearts. It is not psychology. It is not self-help. It is not this. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. The uh, Psychology is used by God to really help people free. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, ultimately, our job is not to make people better. Our job is to introduce Jesus to people. Let me also free you about the great... Your job is not to save anyone. God does the saving. Your job is to share Jesus and allow him to move and save Of course, I took too much time. Could talk about Ananias. You know, here is Paul being led to Damascus, <laughs> blind. And at the same time, God has a man praying. What do you want me to do today, Lord? I want you to go meet the murderer. Because he's my son now. Okay. He goes, not only does he call Paul his brother, but he is so absolutely sure that God's captured that he lays his hands on him. His hands were supposed to be bound and dragged to Jerusalem, but his hands are now there to embrace Paul, to receive his healing. 
You can't shackle the gospel. And then God says, hey, and I just want you also to tell him how much he's going to suffer for me. <laughs> Not only is it a great mission, he's going to go beyond the walls of Jerusalem, but he's going to suffer like Jesus now too. He's going to experience me in ways that will literally rock his world. Which shows us that this purpose in the suffering of Jesus' children. Every millisecond of your life has a reason. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. God is more stronger than your sin. God has more grace in Jesus Christ than there is actually sin in you. Jesus removes the blindness from Saul. Amazing grace. Song comes to mind. I once was blind, but now I see. He's baptized. The converted archenemy of Jesus writes from experience to us in Colossians 1, 21 to 23. This is how I'm going to end. This is him writing a personal letter to the church at Colossae. You, now this is the... Uh, New century version, just because I like the way it sounded. You yourselves are a case study of what God does. At one time, all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. Oh, not to mention you were his enemy. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you. Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one, Every creature under heaven gets this same message, and I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Do you see the infectious grace in Acts 9? I hope you do. Because there's infectious grace pursuing you. And will flow through you. Church, let me help you. You don't need to know all the words of the gospel. You don't need to know all the points and all the scriptures. You know what Paul did? You know what Peter did? You know what Timothy did? They knew their word. It's good to be in the word. But they shared the story of what Jesus did to them. I think that we get this idea that if we're going to share our faith, we've got to know all the points. We've got to have answers to everybody. We don't. We just need to be available and trust that the Holy Spirit will walk and move through us. And yes, he will pull scriptures that we have. Some of y'all know the Romans Road. I think the Roman Road was used in a great way in the past. Some of us don't. Guess what? We tell them about Christ who he is, what he did, and why he did it. 
And God says that when we share the good news, something can happen. The Spirit will invade the human heart and either save it completely or plant a seed. And who knows, by us sharing, we may even be rejected. But how many stories have we heard? How many stories do we personally know of family members, friends, coworkers, students, whatever? How many things we know we look back on, I can't believe that dude got saved. I'm sure we all know stories like that. Oh, we've read stories about it. You ever read the book, The Son of Hamas? It's a great book. It's a true story about the son of one of the biggest Hamas leaders of all time, who is Muslim, gets saved and has to run from his family because they're trying to kill him. And he literally comes to America for asylum, and he is spreading the good news of Jesus. This is a man who took part in the terrorist act to kill people. Jesus saves him. So we can't ever say, that person's too far. He's not. God's hand is never too short. The story of Saul reminds us of this. I am a saving God. I have infectious grace that I want to give to other people. And when a person becomes infectious, it spreads. God wants to spread the good news. Let this truth catch you. And hear Jesus say through this story, no one will ever stop me from infecting you. Be infectious for me. Let's pray. Father, I went two minutes over, Lord, but that's okay. Lord, I could preach this for four hours and not break a sweat. This story, Lord, Luke wrote for a reason. He wrote for a reason. It's amazing that this arch enemy becomes the main character of half of the book of Acts. This arch enemy would become the writer of 13 of the 27 letters of the New Testament. This arch enemy, salvation, would be known as the most important conversion in human history. This arch enemy would become the greatest lover of Jesus Christ. This arch enemy would look at us and remind us, you were once enemies, but because Jesus connected his life to yours, you are now a friend. Holy Spirit, may we think about our stories, our captured stories, our infected stories, or if we want to use more modern, I mean more known language, our salvation stories. Lord, you are infectious. One of the reasons that I'm saved and that everybody in the seats that love the Lord Jesus Christ are saved is because you saved Paul. And Paul shared the faith with Timothy. 
And Timothy shared the faith with his people. And their people shared the faith with their people. And it just went down the line. You are a multi-generational God. And I love, Lord, that you give us a part in your story. We're not a side character. We're not a comedy relief. But we are partners in your story. Father, I pray that we would be like Ananias. As we pray, just say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, some of us would desire for you to say our names. Some of us need you to move in our life. Some of us are hurting and we don't want to tell anybody, Lord, I need you to visit them this week and dine with them. Some of us are hiding behind certain things that we know we shouldn't do. Lord, would you graciously expose those things so that we can actually be free? Let us, us, Lord, never believe that freedom means that we can do whatever we want. But no, freedom means we can be free from everything that binds us to this fleshly world. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would hear your movement in our life. Maybe there's neighbors, maybe there's friends. Give us the courage, Lord God, to just tell them about what Jesus did in our life. Let us share our testimony. In Jesus' name. All right, before we end, I wanted us to take five minutes. I want you to gather together. Okay? Not hard. Gather with people you know or don't know. I want you just for for five minutes. I know y'all want to go eat. I know that technically I got four minutes left. So four minutes. Gather together and just share your rescue story with someone. Just tell them what age you were, where you were, and how it happened in a short condensed version. Because I think it's important that we all know our stories. Because our stories can encourage each one of us. Okay, and if you don't remember the date, because you're not weird like I am, because I know the exact date and time, that's okay. Just say around 2017, something changed. I mean, that's a great story. So let's take four minutes to do that. Um, And if you want to, some people in the back, if you want to gather with the people in the sound booth, don't let them get out of it either, okay? All right, let's take four minutes and then we'll do announcements and then I will dismiss you, okay?
We need a fresh wind, a fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. We need a fresh wind, a fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Spirit out Hearts that burn with holy fear pure and empty, refine us fire, strengthen what remains. So we the church who bear your light, lamp of flame, city bright, king and kingdom, come is what we pray. Cause we need a friend Fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out, hold the anointing, the power of your presence, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out, a holy anointing, the power of your presence, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit church let's go over just a couple of announcements and then i will let y'all go eat lunch i won't hold you captive anymore okay (laughs) so i'll let some people finish their stories before we jump in
Take your time. I will never, ever rush the good news being shared, ever. I'll get fired to listen to that story. I know there's a day at Community Coffee, I'm going to be up to share my faith, I'm going to get in trouble by my boss. You're taking work time. I've gotten in trouble for the post office. Can't tell you how many times I got to share my faith being a mailman. That was easy. I was bringing mail and delivering a message. Um, and I got told a lot. Because people would come to the post office and tell people, why is that cute little Mexican guy? That's what they called me. I was like... <laughs> but, and they would tell my boss, hey, he shared news. Like, they told me about the church. And she was like, oh, not again. You know? So... But look, a couple of announcements won't go long. Men's group, guys, if you have not been part of the men's group, you need to join. It is last week, I think, we've only been meeting for two weeks. Last week was just powerful. The conversation was amazing. Like, we're talking about real stuff. We're not just looking at a book, doing a little study. We're actually talking as men what God's vastly greater purpose in our life is. Um, and so, and if you missed last week because you were out of town and you had work, well, look, I get it. The homework's chapter 9, okay? So, chapter 9 in your book, it's only nine pages, too, so it's not a big read. Um, but we meet at Pastor Jeff's house at 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights. The address is online. You can see that in the digital bulletin if you got the QR code. Or um, the website has all that information, stuff like that. If it's $15 to sign up, which basically pays the book because the book's like $14.90 after taxes. And so, yeah, you, you, you donate 10 extra cents. Um, so, um, but yeah, I'd love that you'd be a part of it. Uh, next thing, look, next week is October 1st. Now, we got some cool, cool things happen October 1st. One, we got a professional photographer coming. So, look, everybody come to church. Everybody online hear that? Everybody come to church. Let's, let's pack these seats because we're, we're redoing our website and so she's taking those pictures but also family pictures and stuff like that so get all nicely dressed up look good you know and um, let's take pictures together and have some fun and actually welcome the first time let her, let her ca- if anything she captures let her see that this is a church that loves people that loves each other and serves each other well and then also on the same day the kids are going to come up here after the last song and they're going to lead us through Since I Opened Up the Door song. And so I'm going to bring out the tambourines for the adults, and the kids are going to jam out, and we're going to sing together as a church body. They've been practicing for like two months. Um, and so that's going to be fun, too. The kids, the kids are doing a great job with that. And now they're like, I can sing that song in my sleep. I was like, yes, that's the purpose. If you never heard Since I Opened Up the Door, listen to it. It's a real catchy, folky movement. And then the last announcement is October 15th. I know Jeff said this last week. We had to move our family picnic from the 1st to the 15th because we couldn't get the pavilion. And we want the pavilion because it's got air-conditioned bathrooms. Amen? Okay? So if you're hot, you just go in the bathroom. Oh, I'd sit there. I, I did it like twice. We'll have food will be provided. I'll have a game for the families and kids to play like we always do. And it's just a good time to hang out. And the photographer is going to come there and t- snap some pictures and stuff like that. And then we're talking to her because she's going to come to the men's group, get some pictures of the men's group. She's going to get some pictures of the youth gathering that we do at my house. And so it's just going to be kind of cool. We, want, we don't want to just put eye stock photos on the church. We want to, we want to, to capture what's actually really happening here. Um, and so that is the announcements for the day. So together, let's stand and let's proclaim the Great Commission as our benediction.
remember, Paul got saved because the disciples did this. And we got saved because Paul did this. All right, so I was saying that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, Amen. Be blessed.